This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. One of the many blessings of our faith has been those countless men and women down through the ages who have been chosen as what we might call divine messengers, bringing us directions on how we are expected to live our lives. And they don't fall into any one time period. I would imagine we all could rattle off a countless list of their names and their lives. But have you ever stopped to think about those with whom we may not be as familiar? Perhaps in their own quiet way, their fame or message may not be as familiar because God was saving them for us. Just perhaps God in his infinite wisdom was providing us with an early warning system so that we might be prepared for what was to come and what we are expected to do. Well, who can say for sure? Certainly not I. And yet, why were they given these charisms if not for a reason or an early warning system? I certainly don't presume to have all the answers, but their lives, the messages they have received, must have been for a reason. Let's just say I'll give you the story of one mystic, and you can decide for yourselves what you are to do. We have to go back in the time to the late spring of 1769 to the city of Siena in Italy, a city that has brought us saints and holy people. On May 19th of that year, Anna Maria was born to Luigi and Maria Gianetti. Her parents were poor and, and struggled just to make ends meet. But regardless of Luigi's efforts, there was just not enough money to get by, and the family moved to Rome when Anna Maria was just six years old. Her parents were unhappy to relocate, and much of their bitterness was directed to their small child, who seemed to ignore their hostility and returned their anger with quiet patience. Her formal schooling was provided by an order of nuns and lasted for only two years. As soon as Anna Maria was old enough, she worked as a household maid or other job requiring little skills in order to help her family survive, and they returned her favor by treating her poorly and often taking out their frustrations on her, and though it undoubtedly hurt her, she did not return their hostility and generally treated them with respect as she approached all her tasks and jobs with the necessary diligence and hard work mixed with a certain amount of cheerfulness. At the age of 20, she met and married a laborer who worked as a servant. He was a churlish man with few if any social skills and was rather brusque in his everyday activities. And though he may not have been abusive to Anna Maria, he was certainly not as kind and considerate as a young bride would wish her husband to be, but she remained humble and forgiving. Perhaps it was a mixture of the marriage and also being away from her parents, but her interest now was focusing on dressing up, going out, and having a good time as much as their finances would allow. She certainly was not what we might call wild, but she enjoyed the pleasures of this world when held them in a higher priority than that of God. And that's when God stepped in. 
Oh, she enjoyed the theater, she enjoyed going out, but slowly at first something seemed to be missing in her life, and she started in small steps a spiritual journey that would ultimately last a lifetime, including the seven children she would one day bear. And that journey would start not that long after her marriage to Domenico Teghi. One day she wanted to attend a special service at St. Peter's Basilica when the real life of Anna Maria Teggy would begin. Well, she and her husband went to the basilica. Oh, she was dressed with her flashiest jewelry, not expensive, but flashy, and her best clothes as they moved around Bernini's colonnades. Well, there were lots of people there pushing and winding their way for a better locations. And as they did, Anna Maria bumped into a priest, a Father Angelo. Well, as one would do when they are bumped into each other, they look around, and then something strange took place. He didn't know her, but he looked at her. Somehow he knew. He knew she was special in some way because he had a very clear interior message, as powerful as if he had heard it spoken directly to him. The message was simple but powerful. It said, Notice that woman. For I will one day confide her to your care, and you will work for her transformation. She shall sanctify herself, for I have chosen her to become a saint. And then she was lost in the crowd. The priest looked around. It happened so fast. And, and what do you say to a person when you have received a message like that? Well, I'm sure Father Angelo knew that what God wants God makes happen. Well, some time had passed. Things had not gone well for Anna Maria. She was not happy, and she sought heavenly help one day at the church of St. Marcellus. Confessions were being heard, and so she thought she'd go to confession, enter the confessional of a Servite priest, a Servite priest named Father Angelo Ferrandi. Name sound familiar? He was the priest who had been told, take notice of that woman. I am calling her to sanctity. And from on high, he knew who had entered the confessional. He said to her, so you have come at last, my daughter. Our Lord loves you and wants you to be wholly his. And then he explained what he meant and told her of the message he had received at St. Peter's and the life of Anna Maria Tegi was changing forever. I think it necessary to mention the tremendous tact and discernment that Father Angelo needed to provide just the right spiritual guidance to enable Anna Maria to fulfill God's wishes for her. And that would not be easy because by now her parents had come to live with them and it seemed that her mother and Domenico would be the basis for a continuous shouting match between mother and husband. And yet Anna Maria kept God close and would lead her children in their nightly prayers and rosary. It seems that God first wished her to pursue a type of purification in preparation of what he had in mind for her and she became acutely aware of her own weaknesses and miseries and what was necessary to overcome in order to be God's messenger. She even built a small altar in her room. Her husband was not a willing cooperator in her pursuits, but 
he couldn't help notice that she had given up completely her love for jewelry and fine clothes, though they barely could afford them. He saw her change from a love of material goods to a love of God, and he began to accept her mission without any further interference on his part. In her journey to God, Anna Maria would hear God's wishes as an inner voice. Among those messengers were these admonitions to be prudent in all things, and that the devil is a spirit of contradiction, and one who is under his spell cannot rest day or night. But when they are under God's friendship, they inquire peace which possesses all things, such as patience, charity, or not speaking ill of your neighbor. He added that man is full of pride and has nothing to do with the proud. But the greatest message was, only the humble find favor in my sight. At the same time, Anna Maria received another blessing. The Blessed Virgin Mary became as her guide to help her carry out the wishes of her divine son. Anna Maria was frightened and confused as to how she would be able to be an example and questioned why she had been given this task and that she was unworthy of so great an undertaking and was told, It is I who will guide you by the hand as a lamb is led by the shepherd to the altar of the sacrifice. Then, in 1790, in her early 20s, and for about 47 years total, she was favored with an extraordinary miracle of graces, in which she would be privileged to have a glimpse of events not yet fulfilled, as she became the subject of many ecstasies in which she saw the future. She experienced another grace, similar to that experienced by many other holy people, and that was levitation. She would rise unsupported by any visible means and be suspended in midair while praying, particularly uh, in prayer, much like St. Joseph of Capertino. She would see what might be described as a kind of sun, and in the light of that sun's brightness, she would have visions of these specific future events. Strangely, there were often what appeared to be like clouds or bits of haze obscuring some of these events, and she was told that they would become clearer to her and increase in visibility as her own purification became greater and greater of particular blessing was that she would endure these observations for the remainder of her life. She attempted to do everything she could to improve her own purification and to live in order to serve and save souls for God. As was to be expected, word of her gifts could not be kept secret, though she was personally not one to want to attract others to herself and preferred to live a life of anonymity. And her life was never easy. Her family was faced with continuing financial difficulties, but she preferred to have faith in God's providence rather than to accept any monies or benefits arising out of her great gift. She was content to rely more on God than on man. 
Even though money was always in short supply, she frequently had to resort to doing sewing and needlework to put food on the table. She attended Mass daily and and fasted for two days every week as part of her gift back to God. Well, people from every walk of life, from the man on the street to the popes of the church, would come to her and seek her counsel, and she would enlighten them on the joys of heaven. She would give them all the information they sought, provided it met with the approval of God, and even if she didn't understand what she was really saying by what was meant, she was answer and give them the information and never seek an explanation. As an example of how she was regarded, I'd like to give you a quote by no less than a cardinal of the church. Cardinal Pedicini, who was acquainted with Anna Maria for more than 30 years and a man who was highly respected by the church. Cardinal Pedicini said of her after her death, and I quote, For 47 years, day and night, at home, at church, in the street, she saw in this sun, which became increasingly brilliant, all things on this earth, both physical and moral. She penetrated to the depths and rose up to heaven where she saw the eternal lot of the dead. She saw the most secret thoughts of persons nearby or far away and events and personages of bygone days. She had only to think of a thing and it presented itself in a clear and complete manner. A mere glance at this mystic sun, and she entered at will into the most secret council rooms of kings. End of quote. Following the directions of God as to how she was to live her life, she was blessed with many other charisms in addition to this mystic sun. She would merely touch the sick, and they would often be cured. She would go to those who were most often ignored and offer her help. For example, one day she was on her way to church when she came upon a woman foaming at the mouth while suffering an attack of epilepsy. Other passerbys had ignored the woman or turned away, but not Anna, not Anna Maria. She approached the lady and wiped away her mouth and helped her into a nearby shop where she cared for her and the lady recovered from the attack and Anna Maria went on to church where she heard Christ's voice say, Thank you for helping me. Other charisms were in themselves quite remarkable. It was not uncommon for her to make sacrifices for the dead who were in purgatory, and they would return to thank her for her help. She shunned publicity, and perhaps the greatest trial she endured during her lifetime was the opportunity to remain unknown. And though she was certainly one of the greatest mystics of the 18th century, and we must remember that she lived an ordinary life of wife and mother, with perhaps the exception that she made a conscious effort to live her entire life trying to avoid the taint of any spiritual imperfection. Perhaps humility and even meekness were her very favorite virtues. She was never bothered by humiliation of any kind and had the grace to love those who may have disliked her or spoke poorly of her 
preferring those instead of praise or adulation, remembering that Christ had made known to her, the humble are always patient, and the patient sanctify themselves. Patience is the best of all penances, and he who is truly patient possesses all earthly treasure and will receive a heavenly crown. For some reason, I'd, I'd like to I like the story of her visit to the hospital of Saint James as as an indication of her real humanity. Anna Maria's daughter was with her, and they were going from patient to patient, visiting with them. But Anna Maria always singled out a woman whose face was eaten away by cancer so badly that the face was covered with a thin veil. And Anna Maria would always make a special visit to this woman. Apparently, the woman had lost the sight of her eye, and when she would hear Anna Maria's voice, she would always say, Here is my angel. Anna Maria would wash her, rock her, and her daughter would complain of the awful smell, but Anna Maria would only say, The smell is the fragrance of her soul. She will go straight to paradise and then she would speak to the woman about paradise. Oh, there's no big miracle to the story, but I think it shows the beauty of the character of Anna Maria. But there were other stories and other dramatic cures that would take place. She would never mention them, but others would. For example, on the Monday of Holy Week in 1837, Anna Maria learned again from her usual sources that she would be called home to heaven on Good Friday. And, of course, that is exactly what happened. After careful examination of her life, on the 30th of May in 1920, Pope Benedict XV declared Anna Maria Tegi blessed. Cardinal Pettuccini would also mention in his description of Anna Maria, and again I quote, she saw distant sea ships being wrecked and heard the cries of the shipwrecked. She penetrated the prisons of China and Arabia where confessors of the faith, slaves, and prisoners languished in agony. In this way did she exercise an unbounded apostolate, won souls to grace in every part of the globe, and prepared the way for missionaries." The entire world was the theater of her labors. Nor let anyone think I am exaggerating. For the contrary, I find myself incapable of describing the wonders of which I was for 33 years the, the witness. Well, I would say that that was pretty impressive description from no less than a cardinal. It has been written of Anna Maria that she saw the entire world in her mind, the very same way that we may see the front of a building. No distance was too far for her to be privileged to be a witness, and she was often a witness to people of whom she had never seen or of whom she had never heard. And her cures, well, they have been worldwide. There's the story of a priest with a malignant growth on his back, and the night before his scheduled surgery, as he was preparing to enter the hospital the next day, he was putting everything in order, he suddenly remembered that he had a first-class relic of the now-blessed Anna Maria Tegi. 
he touched it to his back and prayed that, that she may guide the surgeon's hand during the operation. Well, when he entered the hospital the next day, he noticed that the pain was gone. But in the preparation for the surgery, the surgeon noticed that the tumor was gone too. He re-examined the x-rays and everything connected to the malignancy and found no medical reasoning for its disappearance and that it was beyond any medical explanation. But perhaps the most tantalizing event of which she spoke has not as yet happened. Now, I have to make this part very clear. The church does not oblige us to believe in any particular prophecy as a matter of faith, but we are obliged to believe that prophecies may be made even in our own times, for this is in the gospel that the Holy Spirit will speak to many in the latter days. Moreover, when an identical prophecy has been made by widely separated people in time and space, and when this particular prophecy was accompanied by other predictions which have come to pass, and when the holiness of the mystics in question have been recognized by the church, well, we would be foolish indeed not to believe that the prophecy must come to pass. And such is the case of the three days of darkness, as proclaimed by Blessed Anna Marie Tegi, St. Padre Pio, and others. The three days of darkness. The immediate sign, it will be a bitterly cold winter night in the northern hemisphere. Lightning and thunderbolts will strike the earth, and every demon and spirit will be released from hell and allowed to roam the earth. As recently as 1965, the three days of darkness was discussed by a recognized holy person in Europe who said, and I quote, the divine fire and the fire of hell will arrive and last during the days of darkness indicated by all the saints. A luminous cross will appear in the sky. It will be the sign that the final events are close and remind all of my passion so that people will have time to reflect. I shall not punish the world without previous announcement. End of quotes. The three days have been described that all will be dark except blessed wax candles that should be kept in the home, and that once when lit, nothing would extinguish the candles of the believers during the three days of darkness. People are to stay indoors and not look outside, and they are to pray incessantly, calling upon the Holy Trinity and the saints, among others. It has been said that the three days of darkness has already been postponed by the increased prayers and the sacrifices of good people and the intercessor of and the intercession of our Blessed Mother. According to the predictions, at the end of the three days of darkness, there will be no ungodly persons left, and 75% of humanity will have been destroyed, and everyone left on earth will believe in God. The devastation will be great, but the earth will be purified, and the holy angels will descend from heaven and spread the spirit of peace over the entire earth. Well, of course, there is more to the story of the three days of darkness, which you can easily Google with the words three days of darkness. 
How accurate was her prediction and those of the other mystics? Well, only time can tell. However, they have listed a litany of impending signs that must take place before the three days of darkness would take place. And in reviewing them, it does appear that, well, they all seem to be in place. Whether this happens in our lifetime or later, or perhaps God may change his mind, but just maybe, maybe this is our wake-up call by those special mystics. I would encourage all of us to become more familiar with the possibility of the three days of darkness. And in the motto of the Boy Scouts, well, it might be a good idea to be prepared just in case. And how do we do that? Well, God gave us ten rules for a reason. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.